0: years prior to being a, um, a church planter, I um, was an executive pastor and a student pastor. And in both of those roles, I was highly involved in the lives of college students. And every year, uh, we would take students to a major uh, conference for college students uh, around the first of the year. And we always had a blast taking college students, getting, getting college students in a, in a big bus going down the interstate. It's just a lot of fun, but we would go to this conference, and we would typically hear some really good preaching, but occasionally we'd hear somebody who I did not think was actually so good, and um, after kind of different different sections and different sermons and often on the bus heading back, I would discuss, hey, what what we heard uh, with our college students, and here's what I began to figure out. This is really common sense. I think everybody would go, oh, yeah, of course, that's the way that it would be. Uh, For the student that didn't know a lot about the Bible, didn't know a lot about walking with Christ, they would be very drawn to uh, the person's personality, their giftedness in storytelling, um, kind of their giftedness in teaching. Uh, If they could tell jokes, if they were funny or not, they would kind of be drawn to those things. And and then other students, maybe who've been walking with Christ, been reading the Bible, they would really kind of, kind of dig in and dive into, okay, who really taught the Bible? What was really taught? And how did this really help grow me in my faith? And so, here's what would happen. I'll never forget the first year. Um, I asked, "Hey, who was your favorite speaker?" And a lot of them start shouting out the person who, that when I heard them preach, I had these major red flags go off. I was like, something's not right with this guy, and something's not right with what he's teaching. And, and I began to make kind of a discernment or a judgment call on his teaching basic, based off of the things he said and how they applied to the Bible. Now, um, we call that in the Christian world, discernment. It's making good judgment. And in, in those moments, I began to realize, like as a disciple maker, as somebody who's investing my life in the next generation, one of the really important things that I have to do is to help them learn discernment. Matter of fact, when I talk about discipleship, you'll hear me talk about, we're going we're gonna to help them learn the disciplines of following Christ, that reading the Bible, praying, fasting, the different disciplines. We're going to teach them doctrine, Uh, what we know about God, the things that we can know about God, and we're going to teach Him discernment, how to make wise judgment. Today, as we approach our text, we're going to see Jesus teach us what I would call... Remember last week I talked about His kingdom ethic. We're going to see Him teach us really about kingdom discernment. And so, here's the big truth as we kind of walk into this text today is that Jesus' kingdom ethic teaches us how to discern good and evil. Um, Remember where we are in this text. We are in Luke uh, chapter 6 as we're walking through the book of Luke. I joked around um, before uh, before church with some people who were standing around. uh, I had said that I had hoped to get through the book of Luke in a year. And I, and, and I realized today, I was like, at the rate that we're going, it's going to take three years. Um, it's not going to take a year. It's definitely not the two-year plan. It's the three-year plan. So I've got to figure out how to speed some things up. Um, and I think I'm, I'm just abandoning the whole one-year idea. Um, we're in uh, a section of Scripture that we call the Sermon on the Plain. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, you're, you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, this is a different context, he's in a different place, but as he's teaching, he teaches a lot of the same things. He's, he's leaning in on a lot of the same ideas. And As we're in uh, the Sermon on the Plain, he started off with uh, what we would recognize as the Beatitudes um, in earlier on in 6, and then the Woes. So Brandon taught on that three weeks ago, last week, we learned about what it means to love your enemies. And we learned about Jesus' uh, kingdom ethics, kingdom morality, what the Bible teaches and how it's different from that of the world. And so as we go today, it's important to note that this is our third time preaching on one of Jesus' sermons. So you can't disconnect what we're going to hear today from what we heard last week when we, when we were told, hey, you have to love your enemies not, not just love those who love you, you love those who hate you. You love those who cause you wrong. And last week we saw that Jesus modeled for that, that for us. That on the cross and with his life, he modeled what he preached. And so for the believer, so that the person who says they're going to follow Christ, we're able to follow his example. So today as we, we take apart this text, remember the big truth that Jesus is... Kingdom ethic teaches us how to discern good and evil. So we're going to start in Luke 6, verse 37, and we're going to read through uh, 49. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do nothing, uh, and do not notice the log that is in your own? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out of the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? And the ruin of that house was great. Now as we read this passage of Scripture, it kind of feels like we just heard a bunch of different kind of subjects thrown together and scattered out in one sermon. At first glance, it's hard to see, hey, how does this flow together? And so, man, as as we work through this, I just would like to remind us, and these will become important very quickly, that when we're reading Scripture, one of our first principles as we interpret scripture is to let scripture interpret scripture and two that context is everything context is king and so what we don't get to do is to read a verse from scripture and then extract it out of its context and set it um, elsewhere and apply meaning to it we don't get to do that the context around helps us determine what it is that it's about And so, I would would point out to you that that even when we're reading in a sermon, that there's always the danger, even when we're preaching expositionally through the Bible, verse by verse, that we come together on another Sunday or another quiet time, and we forget what it was that was being talked about before it. And so, let's dive into verse verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. People said, Amen! Amen! Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give it, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. And so here's my first big idea. Jesus' followers should be merciful when discerning good and evil. What he's teaching us to do in this passage is he's teaching us with this, this kingdom discernment idea. He's teaching us to discern what is good and what is evil. And so when we read verse 37, uh, this is often called America's favorite verse. Um, people who don't know anything about the Bible, who don't believe the Bible, are quick to pull this verse out. And they're, they're quick to say, judge not and you will not be judged. They like that because they think it brings judgment off of them. They like that because they think, hey, this is, this is freedom to really do whatever I want. And so, man, they, there are people, I promise you, who, who don't even know John 3, 16, but, but have interpreted this verse to mean, you can't judge me. You can't judge me. You, you think you're all goody-goody-toos. You are all goody goody too? you can not judge me. The Bible says not to judge. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all are looking at me today like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all have never heard anybody say that? Some of you said that, hadn't you? Right? Some of you said it. You think it. Well, does this, is this what this means? Is, does this mean that the Christian isn't to judge? Why do we like that idea in America? Americans love this idea. One, if you can't judge my morality and I can't judge your morality, then essentially we can have no morals. Nothing can be right or wrong. So that means I get to do whatever I want. That's what that means. And so when we say, oh, there's, there, there's no judgment. There's no, there's no right or wrong. You can't look at me and determine what I'm doing, what I'm doing is wrong. We live in this very individualistic uh, society where everything's about me and what I want. So there's my right, there's my truth, and you can have your right and your truth. Now, there's great flaws in that, isn't there? Um, those things can clash really quick, can't they? If, if, if we just start even uh, from, from lo- logically begin, beginning to look at those and they start breaking, they start breaking down really quick... Uh, Things when we say like, uh, my body, my choice. Well, what if I don't believe it's your body or your choice? What if I believe that um, I believe in some sort of evolutionary order where it's all about me and getting mine and, man, what I want to do is build my own kingdom. And so if I've got to tear you down to build my kingdom, I'll do whatever your body I want. Both of us can't believe those two things, can they? Something's off there, isn't it? What if I'm like, man, I just, I just believe we ought to love everybody, that everything I can love is love, there is nothing else. And if somebody over here goes, I believe what's loving is to destroy people who aren't like me. Well, the, the, they, they break down really quick. Our, our, our morals, without any sort of standard or truth, break down. And so that's why, that's why we like this that's why we like this idea that Americans, as they've pulled this out of context, as they've read this without context, to say, you can't judge me. They like it. We like it. Because we want to do what we want to do. But here's the second, second reason um, we, we, we do it. I mean, here, here's the real reason why we, I think we cast judgment. We often cast judgment on others to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. That's why we cast judgment. So we walk in and we look at people and we're going to say, oh, look how horrible they are. Look how good I am. So those things happen. So on one hand, it's like, hey, we, we, we don't want you to judge me. Because I want to feel good about myself. I want to be able to do the things that I want. But for others, it's the opposite. It's, hey, I'm going to judge you. Therefore, I can make myself feel better about myself. And when we do that, we unknowingly condemn ourselves because we often point out things in others that we, in fact, do ourselves. That's pretty common. That's that's a huge part of our judgment. And so we read this verse, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. This isn't how this applies. America's form of taking away morality isn't what Jesus is doing in this passage. It's actually the opposite. We must judge. We must use discernment. But we must use Jesus' teaching to do it. We must not just use whatever standard or practice of morality that we feel like and believe on a whim. There has to be a standard of truth to which we live by, the standard by which we make that judgment. And so here, as he's saying that, as he's pointing us to it, he's showing us his kingdom ethic. Think about in, in the Beatitudes, when he said, Blessed are those who are poor, blessed are those who are mourning, woe to those who are rich, woe to those who are full. He's beginning to teach us his kingdom ethic. Last week it was, hey, love your neighbor. Not only that, love those who hate you. So here he's teaching us, oh no, you have to judge, but you must be humble, empathetic, merciful, and gracious when you do it. For the purpose of casting judgment, the purpose of discerning, isn't to tear others down. The purpose of just like loving our enemy. The purpose of loving our enemy isn't just to to be a martyr. No, it's to reconcile them to God. It's that they would be an enemy no longer. The, The reason that we would cast judgment would be the same. And so... The, the idea here that followers of Jesus should be merciful when, when discerning good and evil, he's saying, don't be judgmental. Don't be overly harsh. You're not, you're not judging them as you are their, their ruler. You're not judging them as you're the one who's can, can, can saying good nor evil. You're not the judge of them in that way. You're not the, the one who's to condemn them. No, condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. And then he uses this, this analogy. And this one's, this one's a, little far, a little foreign to us, but it's not hard for us to imagine. He says, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. So, so think of being in a market in the ancient Near Eastern times. And imagine going and buying a bushel of grain. And you've got a bushel of grain. And, and there's two people involved in this transaction, right? There's the person who's selling the grain, and there's the person buying the grain. And so, if you're selling the grain, and you realize that as soon as you put that grain in there, in the bushel, right, um, you want to, maybe the seller, they wanted to make as much, much money off of it as possible. So let's, let's put just enough. Let's not fill it up over the top. And let's be sure not to compress it down any in order to, to, to be able to, to sell it and to make more profit. And he's saying, no, that's not what you do. As the seller, the person, you want, you want to, like, remember, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We just heard that last week. Uh, no. Shake that grain. Press it down. Make sure it's actually a bushel. Make sure that your scales are honest. I messed up yesterday. Went to the bucket sale at Murdoch's again. That's the second time I've messed up and gone to the bur- bucket sale at Murdoch's. If you don't know what that is, there's this little store over here. It's a Redneck's Paradise. Um, <laughs> it's called Murdoch's. And they have a bucket sale, and everything that fits in the bucket is 20% off. And um, yesterday, I didn't have any problem. I didn't fill up a bucket. It was an expensive bucket, but I didn't fill it up. The last time I went to the bucket sale, I bought a dog bed. And that dog bed was not going to fit in that bucket, right? And so it had to fit in the bucket to get 20% off. So guess what I did? I mean, I rolled that thing tight. I shook it down, I measured it, I pushed it, and I got 20% off. Um, right, th- this is what he's saying. He's saying, you're going to be gracious, you're going to be merciful in, in this. Good measure, press down, shaken together, running over, sell it that way. Don't be, don't be greedy. Don't try to, to skim the person that you're selling this to. So he's saying the same thing. Like When you're, when you're dealing with people, when you're, when you're judging others, when you're discerning a situation, show favor. Give the benefit of the doubt. Start from a good place, not a negative place. Don't assume the worst or want the worst. We see in other places that you shouldn't judge somebody by the way that they look. You shouldn't judge them by the way that you perceive them. That there must be more to it than that. So, this judge not, as we hear it, this is, just, this is just a warning. That as we make decisions, and as we discern what is good and right, as we make judgment, that we're doing it in a favorable way. And I would remind you just last week in context, like the purpose, the purpose of casting judgment isn't to condemn somebody to hell, but ultimately to win them over to... Christ. Now, later on in this text, um, as we look at it in context, we're going to see him call us to judgment. But I just want to point out that the scripture is full of places. Over and over and over, we can go to scriptures that tell us to judge. John 7, 24, Jesus said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. We'll call that kingdom discernment. 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to trial trivial cases? And this came from just a chapter before as they had to discern what was happening in the church and whether it was good or evil. And it was actually, in fact, evil. 1 John 4, Beloved, do, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are, for, for, are for, from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so there is a right, good and healthy way for the Christian to discern. He's going to teach us how to do it. Verse thirty nine, he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but every one when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now remember, we can't separate this verse from context, and we can't take, separate it from the context of what was going on. And so, for most of the those people who had become his disciples, who were his hearers, who were the people that they were used to following, who were the people that they were used to hearing, the Pharisees. And matter of fact, this whole sermon has very much an aim at Pharisaical. Teaching and the things in which they misconstrued the text of God's word, and so this is very much a, a, a shot to his disciples, a word to tell them to discern who they are to follow. So who, here's my next big idea: we have to discern who to follow. And so the parable is: can a can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? What's the answer to that question? Yes. Yes, they will. A few weeks ago, I was in Wellington at a Mexican restaurant up there. Um, what's the Mexican restaurant in Wellington? Yeah, that one. And uh, I like I that, that place. Occasionally, I'm up there, I eat at it. And I was sitting there, I was working, actually. I um, was by myself, I was working on a sermon. And this... this uh, blind lady came around the corner with a stick and she was looking for the bathroom and I was like if you're walking in like way over on the left and she's walking in and she's about to walk in the kitchen and she says out loud is this the bathroom and I'm sitting there and she's like right beside me and I went no I didn't I was like panicked I had, like I didn't want to like I couldn't like where she was I just like, like grab her and help her and she's got her stick and thank goodness there was this sweet young Mennonite girl over here eating her fajitas. And she got up and she t- took her around and she led her to the bathroom on the other side of the building. Right? I'm, I, I'm glad she didn't have to follow me to the bathroom. Um, I'm glad I didn't have to lead her. She could not find it on herself. And the, the, the restroom wasn't, I mean, the, the restaurant not really set up well for her. Here, here's the, the analogy. A blind person can't lead a blind person. They need someone who, who can see to help them know where to go and so he says will they not both fall into a pit yeah a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher and so here's the warning you have to discern who to follow you have to discern in the is the person you're following blind or are they leading you to the right place? Are they leading you the right direction? Remember, uh, in, in past weeks, I've often said, you don't take swimming lessons from somebody who's drowning. And what does our world do? Man, we listen to Oprah, Dr. Phil, Joe Rogan, Andrew Tate, David Goggins, the list, the list goes on. And we hear things. We hear things that we can agree with. I'm, I mean, I, I, I've heard a clip from The View one time. Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg, that's her name. She said something and I agreed with it. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> something going on here? No, I'm good, I'm good. That, just, that was logical. That made sense, right? We can, we can hear people. We can hear people. I hear, I hear stuff that Joe Rogan says and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But you know what, I have to realize that in a lot of ways, Joe Rogan is blind. Jordan Peterson is blind. I know we've probably got a lot of people in our church who like Jordan Peterson. Maybe you've listened to him teach on the book of Exodus. It's very interesting. You're listening to a guy teach the Bible who doesn't believe the Bible. Who doesn't believe? Now, I think he, the Lord could be saving him. I, I don't know. But, but we often like listen to people. And when they kind of, in their in our echo chamber, they say the things that we want to hear we like it and we listen and this happens this is not a left or a right thing this is just a we want to be right thing we want to be the one that's correct and so we like what we hear and so here's what here's what christian discernment discernment does for us it goes we have to ask is what that person is saying true to scripture how does it measure up to scripture i heard something marco rubio said this week and, and I listened to it. It was on national, something on foreign policy and national policy. And I thought, man, that makes good sense. And I can see where, a, where scripture scripture would show us that. Hey, that's how we ought to think about that thing. But I can tell you, there's other things that I've heard Marco Rubio say that I would go. You know what? I'm not. I, I don't think I would follow that. Now, that's a guy I like. That that's a that's a guy that that I voted for in a presidential primary. We must use the Bible to discern who it is that we're following. And we must be careful that you don't let your favorite news station, you don't let your favorite podcast shape what you think about the world, but rather you let the Bible and Jesus shape what you think about the world. We must discern who to follow. That's true when choosing a church. That's true, true, true when, when, when you are saying, Hey, I'm going to choose a church. And I'm going to choose the pastor and the preacher. Last week, something funny happened. There was a family who came in, um, and only the, the daughter and uh, son in law uh, actually lived here. Everybody else was from out of town. And the, one of the moms says to me, She says, Yeah, we came to check you out today to see if you preach the Bible or not. And I thought, That is excellent. That is excellent. That is what I'm glad you are doing. That that is what you ought to do. And so when she when she, when 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 she uh, left when she went out the door, she said, "By the way, you passed." And I was like, "Thank you. I'm so glad that I passed." Um, it's true. We we do need to think. Are we just going to let anybody teach us? Is it just the fact that oh, we've, there's there's a guy who's oh he's you know meets this preference of mine. He he. Pleases me in this way. He, says, he tells jokes that he thinks are funny but aren't really funny, and I think that's funny. Or whatever the thing is, is that what you're, you're going by? Or is it that, no, we're getting the Word. The Word is feeding us. We're being led by the Word. It's not, it's not just his, his teaching or His new teaching, but, but rather it's the Bible's teaching. And so next, he says, why... Do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. And so, here's the next thing, is that we must discern hypocrisy. And when we discern our own hypocrisy, we must repent of it. And so, one of the things that he that he teaches us is to look for those. And, and remember, he's targeting. He's he's very much in the context targeting those of the Pharisees. The Pharisees who they said could would would you know sh- strain a what was the strain a gnat and not even worry about the camel, right? It was they they would find the smallest thing to harp on without acknowledging these massive sins in their own life. And so you have to go, is, is there this big log in somebody else's eye and they're trying to, 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 to get the speck out of somebody else? Or is that me? Am, am I overly concerned with this sin in somebody else's life and I'm not concerned with sin in my own life? And so when, when we say, judge not lest you be judged, ultimately, I want you to understand something, we're all judged Right, we're judged by what is in our eye. We're judged by our our actions and what we do. To use his kind of his his symbolism, and so we don't want to be a hypocrite. And so we must discern hypocrisy in others. And when we see hypocrisy in others, we must reject it. We must call them uh, to repentance. You'll see here that that the objective, you know. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The idea isn't just to let everybody walk, or, to walk around blind with stuff in their eyes. The idea is that you would, you would take it out of your eye, and you would be able to see clearly. So, when there's hypocrisy in my life, though as painful it it may, may be, I want those people in my life, my family, my wife my friends, my mentors to help call that out of me. Now, you can ask my wife. Sometimes when she calls, when she's like, you can't see, can you? And often it's there, you know, she doesn't ever say it like that. I don't like it. Surgery hurts. Taking a lot, taking a splinter out of a a kid's finger can hurt. Getting something out of your eye can hurt. But it is good for you to get it out of your eye. And so whether it's you must be the one who helps the other person after you've you've judged yourself, you've discerned yourself, whether you're in the right or in the wrong, you, you're, you're looking at it, we must come at it from a common place. Here, we talk a lot about this, the depravity of man and the importance of understanding that we're all depraved, that, that we're, we all are fallen so that we're not casting wrongful judgment, that we're not living in a judgmental way, but we're wanting what is right and good. And so the next big idea is a person's words and actions help us discern if they are following Jesus. We're known by our fruits. We are measured by the fruit in which we produce. Now, I think here is a very important uh, place in the sermon to let's look and understand what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. The gospel says that we are, in fact, all sinners... None are righteous, not even one. The Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible teaches us that none of us can earn our own salvation. None of us can work at our own salvation and bring ourselves to a place of where we can save ourselves. That we can earn favor with God. That we can earn to a place where God looks and looks and weighs out all of our works and righteousness and goes, they got to, they got a 70 on the test, they pass. It's not how it works. It's that, no, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That he who knew no sin took on our sin and became righteousness for us. That Jesus Christ, in his crucifixion that we talked about last week, as he was crucified, he took, the, he took our sin and our shame those who are unrighteous, He took on their unrighteousness. He was punished for it. He was crucified on the cross, taking on our sin and shame. He was buried and He was put in the grave. And on the third day, He rose again. He defeated sin for us. He, he gives us His righteousness. We're able to take off our own righteousness and put on Christ's righteousness. And so here's what we say. We, we, would, we would quote... Say Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's a gift of God, not by work so that no one would boast. However, after we've believed the gospel, after he saved us, after we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, he begins to work in our heart. And what God works in our heart works out of us. It is the fruit of us. And so a good tree begins producing good fruit. What God works in our hearts works out. We would quote Galatians 2.20. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live. It's no longer I who live. But it's Christ who lives in me. It's Christ in me that produces good fruit. So the life I once lived in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God. And so what God works in me works out. I would go to Galatians chapter 5. He says this, Paul says this in verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, he's going to show us. He's going to show us how to discern what is good and what is evil, what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit right here. The works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, envy drunkenness, orgies and things like these. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we're able to discern what is, what is evil by, by those kind of things. It is a person producing that kind of fruit. Is that the fruit? Then it's evil fruit. It's not good fruit. And that means we can discern that they are not a follower of Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit is... The life of the follower of Jesus is going to produce good fruit. In word, in deed, in action, as we look at the arc of their life, does that mean that they never sin? That they, does it mean that they ever have a fit of rage? Well, I hope not. Uh, If if that's the case, I'm never letting my kids watch me work on a vehicle because nothing makes me madder than, like, busting my knuckles, right? Uh, No, repent of that. Learn to have self-control. It's the Holy Spirit working in me that is going to produce good fruit out of me. We can discern those things. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Here's my next big idea is that the wise will discern the right place to build their house when I was an executive pastor one of my my jobs was to the, the main reason I was executive pastor was helping our church build a new campus and so we were a 200 year old church we had been in a uh, this one location in the forks of the Elkhorn Creek since the mid-1800s. And we were moving about five miles. The church had previously bought about 98 acres. And we're going to build this 50,000 square foot building right on that piece of property. And so um, we the the architects, they come and they determine like, Hey, this is where you need to build the church. This is where the the cornerstone should be. This is where the front of the church should be. And so you should see us out there. We didn't just take them at their word. We had them mark it out and we went and we sat there and we discerned, is this where it should go? Is this what should be done? Is this the wisest place to do it? And they were wrong. We had to move it. We had to move it to a better we had to move it to a better Place We had to discern where the house should be built. Every good builder does that. Every one of us has to make this discernment. We have to make this call. Where do we build the house? And so in this story, we see this story other, in, in um, uh, the other gospels. We see we have to discern. Do we build our house on the sand that's going to be shaken and washed away? Or do we build our house on the foundation that is the solid rock? And so discernment is huge, making right judgment is huge. And so everyone in this room today, we live a life where we have to judge, we have to make ju- judgment, we have to discern from good and evil. We have to discern what is right and wrong, what is what our next step is, what the best way to go is. Sometimes in life, may, maybe discerning is super hard and super great. This one's super easy. He's showing you there are, two, there, there are but two ways. It is, it is either on the sand that's going to wash away or it is on the rock that is not. And so my encouragement today to you is to cry out, Lord, Lord, and then do what He tells you. And that's build your house on the rock. We started today's sermon, today's worship service in reading Psalm 92. And I had him stop at verse 4. Verse 4 says, For oh you, O Lord, have made glad your work. At the works of your hands I sing for joy. Now I want you to listen to the next verses. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. The stupid man cannot know. The fool cannot understand this. That though the wicked sprout like grass... And all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction forever. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. You've poured out over me fresh oil. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the doom of evil assailants. But listen to this. Here's the good news. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. To declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. And so today, choose in your heart to build your house on the rock. Choose to follow the Lord, discern good and evil, and see that God is good and follow Him with your life and you won't regret it. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be a discerning people. That your word would really be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. I say that all the time. I close sermon after sermon with that line. But it's true that your word would be how we discern what is good and evil. And Lord, that we wouldn't have a wrong view of ourselves. That we would understand our need of a Savior. That we would have a merciful, gracious view of others. Lord, help us to discern what to follow. Help us to discern the choices we make in life and let us see the weight of that. The weight of, of, of building our, our lives on sand that will wash away our, what it means to bear uh, and build our lives on you, the, the solid rock. Lord, move and work in our midst. Help us to take our next step in obedience. Help us not to just call out, Lord, Lord, and then go and do what we want, but help us to be people who call out, Lord, Lord, and then follow you with everything we have for your glory and your honor, but also for our good. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a song of response.